Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. David Hookstead from OutKick will join us in 20 minutes. We'll talk Big Ten headlines with him. New contributor there at the site. 360 headlines. Uh, we've got Julio Jones, who has signed a contract with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So Tampa Bay's wide receiving core lacks they, – they need an additional piece for speed because they have – I mean, they have their top three. They've got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Russell Gage. Godwin's coming back off injury. Uh, Russell Gage signed from Atlanta. And, of course, Mike Evans, uh, the number one option there. Beyond that, that's where they, they lack depth and pieces and – uh, Julio Jones, while a, a veteran depth option, he's not someone that's coming in immediately practicing. And if he is, if he practices for more than a week straight without Look a hamstring out. issue, uh, take take that luck to uh, the, the nearest uh, gas station and play the lotto uh, with, with what you're working with there in Tampa. Point being, they could use another option, but their, their, their front three, it went, as long as that three stays healthy, they're fine. And then, who was the tight end they just brought in? Uh, Graham? Rudolph. Yeah, Rudolph. Kyle Rudolph. Rudolph. There it is, Kyle Rudolph. Um, quick aside, headline just popped up on TMZ, and I want to raise this issue. A man was killed after walking into a moving helicopter blade. Police are looking into an attempted selfie as the reason why. Uh. There are far too many instances of people believing that because you have a phone out, it somehow creates a force field around you where bad things can't happen because you're trying to get the right picture. Was it not a selfie that the, the bison killed the person over, trying to get up close to the buffalo in Yellowstone and take a picture and they were killed because of it? Yeah, there have been people falling yeah. off of cliffs and the like, too, doing uh, selfies. It, it, we got to stop. It's well said. No force field. I would we we got to stop. It's like they feel like it's a, the harm can't well, come to them because they're trying to get a selfie. I would say stop being an idiot and getting around a helicopter blade and a bison. Uh, yeah, take all the selfies true. you want. It doesn't have to be in front of uh, an animal that's going to kill you or a helicopter blade that will decapitate well, you. This is my point. Those people are probably too stupid to realize that to begin with. But the motivation was, I want a picture with this thing that's going to kill me. So let's stop that. Well, he's he or she is uh, showing off that they're they have the private chopper. Look how close I got to this bison. Yeah. Look at look everyone. It's like Beastmaster. I got so close. I got, <laughs> I got so close. I, I got can, dead. I, I am I am the the whisperer of this creature, and I can get next to it. And it's not going to do anything. We, uh, we referenced this uh, last week, towards the end of last week, with the media vote, the preseason expectations for teams based on where the teams are projected in the SEC to finish. Texas A&M, based on the votes and the number of second-place votes um, compared to Kentucky, who was picked to finish second just ahead of Tennessee, barely, Texas A&M is, is predicted to be the third-best team in the SEC 
regardless of division. Uh, if that ends up being true, they have not just figured out the quarterback spot, but Jimbo Fisher should be able to point to Haynes King and that being the only issue why they were not more of a factor last year um, and why Zach Calzada is playing for Auburn instead of A&M this year after beating Bama at home in that in that fantastic game on that Saturday night in October. Uh, my point being, if, if they are truly the third best team in the SEC, the media, uh, based on vote, they have seen more of Haynes King than what I've seen. And that, that's putting a lot of stock into a quarterback we have not seen play in SEC slate. I think it's also putting a lot of stock, in, and rightfully so, into the rest of that roster. Or do you think it's Max Johnson? Where I, I think it's going to be Max Johnson would be my personal pick right now. Who's going to win that job for transferring in from, from LSU? However, I, the only reason I, I lean Haynes, Haynes King has won the job once with Jimbo Fisher. A and M, there's a couple things at play here. One, Alabama, Georgia, far better than the rest of the conference. So there's a drop yes, off yes, between yes. those two. So when we're taught, we're nitpicking between Kentucky and A and M in terms of media vote, finishing second. Yeah, and, and in, Tennessee in the East was and three, vote, three, three media votes. So, off, so you know, Tennessee's off. probably in that top five or six mix. Also, is what the media and saying. Arkansas was directly behind. I believe Arkansas is a bigger problem for the top of the conference than A&M because of K.J. Jefferson. I, I firmly believe that. Now, A&M is so talented everywhere other than quarterback right. that there's two statements being made here. One, Alabama, Georgia, far better, doesn't matter after them, quite frankly. But also, A&M may be the one team that has so much talent and they're loaded on defense, loaded in the run game, loaded at offensive line that they may be quarterback recession-proof. But why doesn't Jimbo have They just have need a, a functional quarterback to be able to contend with the best in the conference. Why doesn't he have a terrific quarterback when he's done all this spectacular recruiting over the last couple of years? Well, and we've King heard about it over and over. Highly over. touted recruit. Yeah, I don't, I don't, to answer your question, I don't know um, why. It, it, part of it is probably, you know, Jimbo Fisher is one of the last holdouts. It, it's funny because I think it's too broad when you say, pro style versus spread because every pro team is running variations of spread and every spread yeah. team does something with pro style yeah, it's all in their offense. But I would say Jimbo is a little old school when it comes to the quarterback position in college. Um, I mean, even going back to his work with Jameis Winston at Florida state, Jameis Winston was a old school pro style drop back passer for the most part, at Florida State. He doesn't have these guys that are going to run the ball a ton at the quarterback position, and that's fine, but he's not an air raid guy. He's not doing anything fluky at all on offense, and maybe that's hurt him a little bit at quarterback. With with, with Statistically, when you look at what some other teams, like, say, a Josh Heupel that Tennessee is going to do with the quarterback and with their pace of play, that's going to pump up stats big time. They have a legitimate running back in A-Chain. Um, you know, I think he, he's going to be more of a bell cow. And the emphasis will be on him more than the split situation we saw last year with A-Chain and Spiller. And I think that benefits uh, A&M greatly on the offensive end. And I think we could see a breakout season from him. Um, and if, if we see the breakout season, we're, they are. They, I mean, you could see uh, reasons to point to A&M being the third best. K.J. Jefferson's interesting because... 
and Aaron Murray pointed this out with us last week. Um, we we will know what four or five games in what KJ Jefferson is without Traylon Burks. And Aaron Murray pointed to the third down or the second and longs, where if they needed a go-to moment, they went to Burks. And Sam Pittman got at the podium last last week, and, and he said, "Look, I I understand the concerns at wide receiver." It is wide receiver by committee right now, and we need guys to step forward and take control of that position. That's the one position where they have a ton of question marks. They've got the QB, but can the QB be that guy without the guy at wide receiver? And if you start looking at the top of the conference, everyone, and that's the main question we have about Kentucky with Will Levis no longer having uh, Wondell Wondell Robinson. Robinson. But Tennessee knows who their go-to guy is in Tillman. Alabama and Georgia can certainly point to their number one option with their quarterback. A&M's got a number one guy if he's not suspended for the, the season based on the, the arrest that took place last week. Um, and it, even if, it's, if the suspension is coming, it's not predicted to be more than half the season, if that. Point being, Arkansas has got to figure that out for their quarterback that can sling it. They've got to have a go-to player in what are going to be some tight moments in fourth quarters. Other than the Georgia game, they were they were in every contest they were played last year. But in large part, it was because of a the, the connection between Jefferson and Burks. If Arkansas does not finish second in the West this year, I don't think it's ever going to happen for them. And that's even with all the great things that Sam Pittman has done. Because A&M... They're only going to get better. Yeah, they're not. They should not get worse. Their freshman class is statistically the greatest in recruiting history that they have coming in this year. They're going to finish wherever they are right now. It's not great. They don't have many commitments. With the guys they're in on, they're going to finish top five or ten next year. It's not going to stop at A and M. It's they're going to continue the flood of talent going to College Station. They're going to be right there. And we know LSU and Brian Kelly. This is going to be maybe a yeah. one year reprieve where they're a 7-5 and five type team, and they're going to be right there in the hunt with Alabama and A&M. So I don't say that to knock Arkansas. That's just the reality of the Arkansas program. Texas A&M is here to stay with Jimbo Fisher. LSU is not going to be down for long with Brian Kelly. Coaches, program, situation, it, they're not long for this at Arkansas, even though they're going to be, I think, a very good program and steady. I could say the same for Tennessee and Kentucky. Whoever's going to finish second behind Georgia, you better get it this year because I don't think Florida under Billy Napier is going to be down for long because of the talent in their backyard and the way they're eventually going to recruit. Now, we've seen missteps in hiring, and we don't know. Maybe Billy Napier was a misstep. And in the long run, Tennessee could be there to stay at number two. Or Mark Stoops in Kentucky could be there to stay at number two with Georgia. But I'm speaking reality right now and not blind hope. Nobody's catching Alabama and Georgia. No one. <laughs> not as long as Nick Saban's there and not as long as Kirby Smart is at Georgia. I don't see anyone in the current makeup of the conference catching those guys well, outside country. of maybe a season. Yeah. Well, the country. Ryan Day. I mean, I'd throw Ohio State there as, as a possibility. But outside of that, th- that to me is the, the only, and I love college football more than anything else, if you want me to be doomsday and bleak about it, it is very simply 
you have no chance as long as those great coaches are in those spots. Well, until one of those programs makes a misstep. If Jimbo Fisher is recruiting this well, and they've got the NIL potential they've got there with the with the oil money and the and the boosters that they've got, and he's a good if he's a good X's and O's coach. I mean, everybody seems to say they've got the best chance to do something. Georgia has gotten back to a height that it previously hasn't been at in a long time with Kirby Smart. Let's see A&M go do it now. I, I mean, I, I feel like it's been three years of talk about how great they've recruited. So It hasn't been that long. Now, look, well, that's it, it's it been one offseason of Nick Saban pouting about it, which tells you yeah. how close they are. Yeah, the, and look, this is me, Paul, looking at it uh, from more of a, a – I'm getting very dark with the, the prospects of these <laughs> programs when I say that, and it's kind of a doomsday <laughs> scenario. Um, Josh Heifel's not sitting in Knoxville thinking, I have no shot no, at Kirby Smart. I firmly believe those programs believe they can do it. I'm telling you they can't. Yeah. And I'm not talking <laughs> I don't see about it happening. I'm not talking about catching and, and maintaining their long term excellence. I'm talking about and we talked about this yesterday, an occasional breakthrough. We may talked about it earlier this show. A periodic breakthrough. Yeah, you, know, you don't have to be Alabama. I want you to break through and win their division once every four years. Or or knock them off in the playoff once every five years. Somebody, you know, it's it's a totally different sport, and it's it you know just the makeup of it, roster, everything else. But a good example of that is what's going on with the SEC in basketball. I mean, Eric Musselman turned Arkansas into a power almost overnight, and now they're getting five star guys. Alabama, the same way. I mean, can the SEC truly transform a program? to be a true national power along the same lines as Ohio State, Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, Oklahoma, name the, the regular players. Can one of these coaches get, get their program to that state regularly? We've named the, the most likely candidates. It's Jimbo Fisher at A&M. It's eventually going to be Brian Kelly at LSU. I think it's probably, given the history of the last 30 years of the sport, Billy Napier at Florida. Well, I'm not willing to say anyone else can do it. Well, we need to. Uh, we, Kiffin deserves mention because Kiffin does it through the transfer portal, and I think that's the only way you catch these guys right now. It's not through recruiting. It's not through yeah, you're not gonna your standard high school recruiting. Um, I think you catch them. You, you can catch them next year on the gridiron through the transfer portal if you get the right quarterback to. And Ole Miss did that. I mean, uh, Kiffin crushed it in that area. Um, there, there's nothing holding Texas A&M back from going the transfer portal route a year from now if they so choose. I think, you know, same thing with Arkansas. But the you, you've got to get that right, and you don't have time to let a guy develop while, I'm saying at the quarterback position, while you're trying to chase and keep up. Because if you let a guy develop and you're not playing him enough, that dude's leaving. So you've got to take your lumps. And I think the, the only way to catch them and Chad, you're right. I don't know if the answer is consistently, but the only way to actually catch them on any given year, face to face, you know, one on one, would be through the transfer portal route. Um, if you're not A and M in this regard, I, I I would like to see Lane Kiffin prove me wrong that the Sugar Bowl is the ceiling at, at Ole Miss. I don't think it's a ceiling for Lane Kiffin, but is that the ceiling in the SEC West for Ole Miss? And the, the big thing for them, and this is very easy to say, beat Saban and Bama one time. Hugh Freeze did it twice 
at Ole Miss, it's yes. possible. Yep. It takes one. It takes well, one time. If Lane Kiffin and they host Bama this year, they were on the road this last year. If they were to beat Alabama and Nick Saban, just in one regular season game, even if it's in the midst of a nine and three season that just gets you to another New Year's six game and not the playoff, the perception of what Kiffin can do at Ole Miss will change immediately. Well, and keep in mind, we're 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 basing this off the pretense that you're not catching them. But who's in the conversation? The most consistent team over the last decade, which is when AM and Missouri came in, other than Alabama in that division, is AM, record wise. So if you're just basing it off the consistency of who's been there around that area, and now they're pairing it with not just a, a top recruiting class, but the best recruiting class. Um, yeah, they're a quarterback away. And the media is telling us, based on the vote, uh, the overwhelming majority in the West was Haynes King or Max Johnson's the guy. And if it's Max Johnson, it's through the transfer portal. If it's Haynes King, they're getting it right off a year where he got hurt and would have had another year under his belt at this time, you know, fast forwarding 12 months. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Arkansas the same way. Kentucky's intriguing too, Chad, because of the offensive change at coordinator. You know, they go from Lee and Cohen, who's now back with the Rams as the offensive coordinator, and they've now gone to the Shanahan tree to bring someone in Scarangelo? from San Francisco. Yeah, I think that's how right. you pronounce it. And uh, they, they still have Will Levis. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of meat on the bone with Will Levis that I want to buy into, but there's not the consistency that we expected last year. But they do have they have a guy at running back uh, who can say Chris Rodriguez. He's got the opportunity to be the top guy in the conference when he's on the field. Probably going to miss a game or two to start because yep. of an offseason DUI. Yep. But. When when he's on the field, he can claim to be the top running back in the in the league. Um, and they have a defense that's always going to play consistent week in and week out. That's what they have going for them. But do they have the quarterback that's going to raise the talent around him and have one of those exceptional years? And oh, by the way, Spencer Rattler suddenly just got dropped in the conference at South Carolina, who was very good for a year at Oklahoma before it fell apart, and he was the top-rated quarterback in America coming out of high school, or at least one of the top two or three. How confident are we in a bounce back there? Because when it got bad last year, it was pretty bad. Tell me who? South Spencer Carolina? Rattler. Uh, I, I think he's going to be fine. I, mean, I, I, I think South Carolina, the South Carolina's quarterback situation was so bad a year ago with yeah. Luke Doty. That's not hard for him and the to guys be better. Going to, I, remember they brought but, in the guys, the grad assistant coach from Boise yeah. State that had to play <laughs> like 24 years old? Spencer Rattler. There. I, mean, it was a I, weird I gained situation. a lot of respect for Spencer Rattler because there was a game. Who was Oklahoma playing when the home crowd was booing his ass off the field? They wanted Caleb Williams, and they didn't put him in. And... Rattler, after being booed off the field, came back in and led a game-winning drive for Oklahoma. Was it this Tulane? This was in September. It was maybe the first week of the season against no, Tulane. Was, that this was, was a, wild a couple game. weeks in, but it wasn't very. It wasn't very soon into the season. But but West, West Virginia. Virginia there you but go. the way he handled that moment, and he's getting interviewed live TV, coming off the field at home, getting booed by the Sooners crowd. They're wanting the five-star freshman to play. Um. Same guy who just followed the head coach to USC, Caleb Williams with Lincoln Riley. I don't know. I, I, I thought he handled it well. He, he was not Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams gave them a spark off the bench. But Rattler's got – there's a little uh, – well, there's, there's inconsistent play, Paul. He's got the leadership qualities that I think can really benefit South Carolina. 
Whereas you've got the five-star talent spinning the rock for the coach that recruited him there at, uh, at I Oklahoma. Just, I, it's certainly I, I better than what South Carolina has. I'm not doubting that. But I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if he's going to be the uh, the ballyhooed guy I, I see from a team that got Oklahoma. to seven and six a year ago. Now, they benefited from the Florida tailspin when they played them in early November. Yeah. Where they rocked them. Yep. Um, but they got to six and six and then beat North Carolina in a bowl with – a, a warm, a, 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 just a live pulse at quarterback, essentially. Yeah, a, quarter, a and quarterback. And now they've got a much better situation. Receiver. Yeah, and now the situation's much better at QB. I, I think they're going to be pretty good. And the live pulse at quarterback went nine for nine passing against the <laughs> UNC defense. Yeah, and they, they won. They that went game. the old um, when Tyler Bray and Tennessee lost in 2011 to Kentucky when they started the receiver at quarterback. It was that kind of game plan. Yeah, we'll throw it five or six times and run the option at him the rest of the game and win. It was a cool moment for him, and I, I'm blanking on his name, Davey, the wide receiver from South Carolina who was on Radio Row last week. Uh, but they didn't send Spencer Rattler. You know, they had not officially named him the starter there. So he was not there in Atlanta, but the senior wideout was. Who had just – yeah, Joiner, Joiner. Thank you. Uh, who had just uh, – uh, coming off the, the bowl win where at quarterback, what he showed up to play, uh, he gets the moment and has an outstanding game against North Carolina as the South Carolina quarterback for the only time, presumably. Cool moment. Coming up, we switch gears. We'll talk Big Ten football. Media days going on. We've got Outkicks, David Hookstead, with us next with the headlines you need to know about about the Big Ten Conference. That's next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. David Hookstead is at Outkick.com. Early on, rave reviews for the work, David. Uh, welcome to Outkick 360. The reviews are in, and they're great. The reviews so are far. in. Good to have you, man. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Excited. Covering uh, the Big Ten and watching the Big Ten Media Days uh, and Kevin Warren at the podium earlier today, it's hard not to look at the opening statement um, and the, the state of the Big Ten, so to speak, and not think that he's comparing those remarks to whatever Greg Sankey said a week ago, where he go, he says, I want to spend a few moments speaking about strength, power, boldness, and the Big Ten Conference. Um, to me, that's in direct response to Sankey discussing nearly the exact same phrasing and wording about the SEC a week ago. Yeah, absolutely, no doubt. He's using a lot of buzzwords. It almost sounded like a presidential speech. He says, we're going to be aggressive. We're a bold conference. We were founded on the idea of being bold. He didn't rule out further expansion, but he said it's going to be on our terms. We're going to be smart about it. We're going to be strategic about it. Won't rush it. Let me translate that for all of you. When he says we're not going to rush, we're going to be strategic, what he's saying is once Notre Dame, if they decide they're coming <laughs> to the Big Ten, that's when all of a sudden it will be strategically the right thing to do. And, and is it, I mean, and I, by the way, I agree with you, and it seems that simple that it's Notre Dame's game to play right now when they decide that the NBC deal either isn't lucrative enough for them or time is up with that deal, that they're going to move. 
I guess the question is, is there anyone else left out there, either for the SEC or the Big Ten, that you see and say, oh, that's a no-brainer. They have to go get that team. Or is it just simply, let's let's all wait on Notre Dame and see what they decide? I think I think the whole world's waiting on Notre Dame. Then after that, with Domino's ball will fall. In terms of who the Big Ten might target next, that's a more difficult question, in my opinion, than who the SEC could target, because there's teams geographically in the SEC region that make a lot of sense. Outside of Notre Dame for the Big Ten, maybe you look at North Carolina, maybe you look at UVA, both really good academic schools, uh, you know, great institutions, not great football powers, but they expand further into the East Coast. But until Notre Dame decides whether or not they're going to get up and dance or not at the wedding, we really aren't going to see much movement, in my opinion. But, I mean, if the Big Ten expands with Notre Dame, they're not stopping at 17. They would get to 18. So there, there would be, they would go 16 to 18. There would be another team... And that's where the negotiations really start flying because, you know, you, the, the rumor mill with Oregon and Washington, you know, being a tandem from the from the the Pac-12 to the Big Ten. I don't know who the outlier is that would just automatically join Notre Dame at the, with the Big Ten without having a partner with them already. And that's where the big expansion would come, where you could see them going from 16 teams to 20, pretty much overnight yeah, exactly. or a week. Exactly. At that point, you're going to kick off an arms race that there's no coming back from because let's be logical about this. The SEC is not going to allow the Big Ten to go to 20 or 22, whatever this number might be, and just sit at what they're at. Like any arms race, like a nuclear arms race, when they build missiles, you have to build missiles. You can't let them do everything. So if we get to that point, which you were just saying, um, where it goes to 20, 22, who knows? That's when you're going to see the house of cards really fall down. And then at that point, all bets are off. You could get Oregon. You could get Washington. Like I said, maybe you get a North Carolina. At that, we're going to see chaos like people couldn't have ever imagined. So let's just take the rational part of our brain right now and let's remove it just for a second, David. And I'm going to ask you this question. And I want your honest response as a fan of the sport, as a Wisconsin guy, as a Big Ten fan. What is your reaction when you see USC and UCLA or moving to the Big Ten. Finances were taken out of it. You know, what's the best for the conference, the future, all that removed from it. Just your honest reaction and response to that move as a college football fan. So if you take the finances out of it, which is the thing I care about most, but if you remove that, I think you're going to have kind of this small time window where people are going to say, hey, USC is coming to play Wisconsin or Ohio State in November. There's snow coming down. This is really cool. And we saw that same attitude with Nebraska, and it faded rather quickly. Now, that's in part because Nebraska was incredibly disappointing. I think that after six, seven years, the novelty aspect of it kind of fades away. I don't know if a lot of Big Ten fans are overly happy about the fact that we just took two schools that have no historic rivalries, have no ties to the region of the country we're in, have no ties to any of our traditions or anything like that, and now we're just thrown in the conference. That's my honest opinion. Once the, you know, kind of the, the pomp and circumstance fades away, you're going to see some people that kind of don't love this. Firstly, I, I just wanted to share that uh, out of all the fan bases in America, I've often used Wisconsin as an example of one of the few I can find no fault with. Like, I meet Wisconsin fans, and I generally like Wisconsin fans. I don't find them annoying like I find virtually every other fan base in America. So congratulations. <laughs> I, I hope you qualify as one of those. I read your Wisconsin piece and your rationale for being optimistic about this year was that something just feels different. How often does that work for you for teams that you root for? 
<laughs> Unfortunately, the past two football team uh, seasons for the Badgers have been great disappointment. And as I've written a few times, you can read about it on outkick.com. Our team rides with Graham Mertz. I mean, we've got a good defense. We've got a great running game. One of the best running backs in America, Braylon Allen. Graham Mertz is a five-star recruit. He has turned into nothing short of a gigantic disappointment so far in his career. Had one amazing game, his first game. And if he plays like he has this last two years, we have an easy schedule. We're probably an eight and four, nine and three team. If he plays like he's shown flashes of, other than that game at Ohio State, we're probably going to be favored in every game we play. He He's not the best player in the conference, not the best player on the team, but I would argue he's the most important player in the Big Ten because you remove – I mean, he, he bombs and the Badgers are dumb. And I don't know if there's any other team uh, where one guy can have such a horrific swing, if you will. I can't think of a program with Wisconsin that has less of an identity crisis because you know exactly who they are. The, you know that the next coaching hire is going to be similar to the previous one, and they are going to play a similar brand of football. They're going to have a great offensive line. They're going to go away from Wisconsin and recruit a great running back. And uh, they're not always going to have the best receivers, but they're going to have a steady quarterback. What is the value in that, David, when you look at the Wisconsin program, one that we talked about earlier, we'd like to see them take that next step and be one of those Big Ten teams in a college football playoff, but they're so steady and you know exactly who they are. Is that a trap to fall into, or do you think that is a big benefit to Wisconsin in that program? Well, it's one of the big things about getting complacent, right? And, and when I say what I'm about to say, people call me crazy, but we've averaged 10 wins a season under Paul Chris if you take away the 2020 season with COVID. 10, 10 wins a season is something most programs would kill for. They'd be very happy for that. But you can only do that for so long and get so close to winning that Big Ten title and get so close to maybe punch that ticket where it's finally like, okay, we've done this enough. We need to take that next step. So at a baseline, it's great. It's great to be able to tell fans, hey, we're, we're going to win 10 games. We're going to win nine games. Don't worry about that. And it's great that we know, hey, at least we'll always be in the conversation. But at some point, we need to open things up. We have to be a little more versatile, a little bit more flexible with what we do. And that, again, starts at the quarterback position. I love the fact that we're dependable and you can count on us. But I, like everyone else, I, I'm, I'm frustrated. It's time to go forward. We've been here long enough. David Hookstead with us, Outkick.com contributor. We're talking Big Ten headlines. And but we know it's Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State right now before we even kick off. It's uh, July 26th, and we know those three teams will be in contention for the college football playoff. Uh, then there's Wisconsin. Beyond Ohio State and Wisconsin, which were uh, landslide selections for the media to win the two divisions this year in the Big Ten, who can play spoiler? Who's looking over their shoulder the most based on the number two team in their division? So if you look to the East, the spoiler is obviously Michigan. They got a veteran quarterback, Cade McNamara. They got a, they got a dual threat guy who played last year in JJ um, McNamara, uh, sorry, McCarthy. Jim Harbaugh finally feels like he's on the right path. And they won the conference last year. So you're foolish to, to think they can't play spoiler. Things get way more complicated in the West because the gap between Wisconsin and those next three teams Minnesota, veteran quarterback, Iowa, always rocks, rocks out. And some people think maybe this is the year uh, with Casey Thompson that Nebraska finally makes some moves. The gap between Wisconsin and those teams isn't very big. The gap between Ohio State and, and maybe other than Michigan, but the rest of the, the East is, is sizable. So I don't think you're going to see anyone play spoiler other than maybe Michigan to Ohio State. You could see Minnesota. You could see Iowa. 
and I don't buy it in Nebraska at all, but Iowa and Minnesota could give Wisconsin potentially issues. Who are we looking at and thinking, man, they really took a step back more than the other? Is it Penn State or Michigan State whenever we look back on the season? Oh, man, that's a great question. I would have to say it's got to be it's got to be Michigan State, right? They lost their best player. It is, is what Mel Tucker did last year, is that going to be the new standard or is that an outlier? With Penn State, granted, they didn't have a great season a couple of years ago. With Penn State, at least – there's been a lot of consistency. You trust James Franklin. You think James Franklin, he's got a track record. And they got Sean Clifford. Sean Clifford's well not a star, is a veteran season quarterback. I think that you got to assume Penn State's more likely to have a better season. If the scale starts with Clark Lee at a 10, saying uh, Vanderbilt's going to be a dominant SEC program. National. Best, best in the, in the well, nation. Right. Well, that's saying the uh, same thing. Yeah, yeah. same thing. Uh, where is Pat Narduzzi saying that uh, Pitt can win the Big Ten every year, Rank? Well, that's, they're equally delusional. The Vanderbilt comment is hysterical. I don't even know what the point of that was. Pat Narduzzi's mistake was he had an opportunity to clarify, and he didn't really clarify. He kind of doubled down and said, well, you know, we play amazing competition in the ACC. That's the only point I was trying to make. Pat Narduzzi should know better. He was an assistant at Michigan State. He knows that if Pitt came into the Big Ten and had to play the likes of Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Wisconsin regularly, it'd be a different ballgame. That Narduzzi comment is so detached from reality, it's tough to even know how to analyze it. So if NIL was one big step towards improving the financial freedom, future, everything of college football players and college athletes, where would unionization rank? And is it possible? Because we got this story now with Penn State, Sean Clifford bringing in this guy who's trying to organize a CFBPA of all of college football. It's obviously going to be a difficult task, David. Just how difficult? You know, you almost have to wonder if it's close to impossible. They want a couple things. They want better health insurance benefits or health benefits. They want health benefits expanded outside the scope of the school. And maybe there's something that can be done there without unionizing the players. The problem is they want to cut into TV money. And once you start reaching into people's pockets with TV money, now you're in a situation where they're not going to be eager to hand you any cash. They're not going to be eager to play ball. And unionizing to me how do you get enough people to go along with it to make any kind of impact? And if the Big Ten tells them, hey, we're not going to do it, you don't really have any recourse. So I don't know what the options are for unionizing that make it realistic. They, you know, they claim they met or they did uh, speak with Kevin Warren. They claimed he was open minded, but not about the media stuff. They came right out and said that they called it a sticky uh, point. And to me, it's, it's the land of dreams uh, on the media stuff. The health insurance stuff seems maybe, but no way are they getting TV money. I can you imagine a world where uh, we see the conferences unionize one by one? Oh, it, 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 so much money at stake. And, and David, you're right about the TV end of that. that. That's the one that I just don't ever see us getting to the point where the conferences, I mean, I feel like they'll just stop playing the sport if they had to turn over half the TV money to players it's an immediate non-starter what did uh, kevin warren have to say about the, the college football playoff expansion i know he spoke a lot on conference expansion what about the playoff itself where does he come down on it he, he's a hundred he said today he's a hundred percent for expanding and i would even throw something else in the mix here 
uh, Ohio State athletic director Gene Smith kind of threw everyone a curveball, and he said 16 teams is on the table. Like they feel 16 teams is inevitable. That's what it's going to end up being. So Kevin Warren's all for it. And from a business standpoint, he has to be all for it because the Big Ten's been embarrassed time and time and time again when it comes to the college football playoff. You have the SEC, which is dominating it. You have Clemson, which has won two championships. Then you have 2014-2015 season with Ohio State. They have to expand it. The Big Ten would be fools not to. The SEC, frankly, has every right in the world to say, no, we're good with four, because why wouldn't we stay for where we're feasting here? Are you as big of a Packers fan as you are a Badgers fan? I'm actually a Detroit Lions fan. Wow. It just because you're, you're a glutton for punishment? Or well, why, did, why did you make that choice? Um, my, uh, my grandfather is from Michigan, so I was raised uh, to cheer for the Lions, but I'm a diehard Wisconsin guy outside that. Man, and and you're, uh, you're, still, you're still averaging 10 wins a season with both of those teams combined. <laughs> yeah, there you go. David, thank you for the time, Appreciate man. It's it, great David. to have you on, it's and it, it won't be the last. Thank you very much. Have a great one. Yeah, man. David Hookstead there, uh, outkick.com, where you can read his work uh, each day. Hit us up on Twitter at outkick360. Literally, as we're asking the question uh, to David there about, okay, Notre Dame would get the Big Ten to 17 teams. They're not going to – they wouldn't have a 17-team conference. They would get to 18 at least, possibly go to 20. Well, there's uh, a national outlet that has put together the other schools that would be considered if Notre Dame chose the Big Ten. We'll have that for you straight ahead on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. So as we're chatting with David there, Outkick 360 rolls on. Brett McMurphy tweets out through the Action Network that there are a handful of schools besides Notre Dame that would add value to the Big Ten. Value being the key word because that's what Kevin Warren was harping on today when asked about Notre Dame and asked about others and conference expansion. Sources said other schools being considered by the Big Ten. Oregon, Washington. Those two have been discussed since USC and uh, UCLA made the move and the announcement was made. Others on top of that, Stanford, Cal, Miami, and Florida State. I don't look at Miami and Florida State as a package deal just the same way I would look at Stanford and Cal, for instance. But the Oregon-Washington combo that was floated out there, the way that they have been paired together the same way USC and UCLA were whenever this was announced, makes me think that if Notre Dame chooses to go the Big Ten's route, I think they're more likely to add three than they are one more. And they go from 16 to 20 instead of 16 to 18. That's the, and based on, I'm basing that solely off of the, the tenor of the way Kevin Warren came across today, which was aggressive. And he's saying that they're leading the way. They're leading the charge in conference expansion. So what would, your, what would be your four to get to 20? Uh, Notre Dame, 
Oregon, Washington, because they have been mentioned. And then you take either Florida State or Miami. For Big Ten? Yeah. So Stanford's interesting, and this surprised me, but looking at that, the, the chart of most eyeballs on teams over the last five years, Stanford ranks ahead of Washington. With the remaining Pac-12 teams, it's Oregon, Stanford 2, Washington 3. Christian McCaffrey had a big part of that. Uh, in his in, when Andrew he was at Luck, Stanford, maybe Andrew Luck. This is just going back five years, so th- this right. what this didn't go back that far. Um, but I, I was surprised to see those numbers for Stanford. Stanford's a, a, a sleeper to me in terms of appeal to the Big Ten. I don't think there's any appeal to the SEC, but it, it would make sense for the Big Ten. I, I I just take the tone of what Kevin Warren is saying. I don't I don't know about the specifics of what he's going to do. It's more of a we are going to punch and not counterpunch right. the next go-around. We counterpunch with USC-UCLA. Texas-Oklahoma is the better punch. We want to hit the punch next. The biggest punch is Notre Dame and I'm with only, something else. I'm only saying Oregon-Washington, and that's based on just the initial reaction when USC and UCLA was announced. The national reaction to it was, and there were reports that said, be on the lookout for Oregon and Washington next. And if that's coming and you're waiting on Notre Dame, to me, the, the logical next step would be to add one more and get to 20 and not stop at 18. You're certainly not going to have an odd number. Um, is there another team, though, in the ACC that would be willing to break any type of media deal and power and, and join uh, a power couple with, with Notre Dame? Not that they need it, but if they join any conference right now, you're going to have to have a second team uh, to to invite, which is not going to be hard for the SEC or the Big Ten, but if you're able to be the team that pairs itself with Notre Dame and they go to bat for you in some way, yeah, somebody should be working on that. <laughs> they're they're if you're back door out. in with yeah, Notre if you're, Dame. If you're wanting out. Meanwhile, I mean, the the one the one guy in the one conference we haven't talked about today in reaction to Kevin Warren is the ACC. This is another you know shot across the bow at the ACC to batten down the hatches, right? Like. It, Make sure you have everything in order, aside from just the TV contract that goes through 2074 or whenever, you know, it's 2033 or 34. Um, it feels like 74 on how it's been reported. But make sure you have every institution in order uh, because they, they are, they really need Notre Dame. If they don't get Notre Dame and Notre Dame ends up with the Big Ten, um, then your top you know, people there's are a, right there's for a the hell picking. mary to throw out there, but a part of that has to be you're keeping everybody within your conference. No the thing one's is, leaving. If you don't lock up Notre Dame, and I don't feel like they can. I mean, if Notre Dame goes somewhere, Big Ten makes more sense. If Notre Dame goes somewhere other than the ACC, then the team you're talking about that pairs itself with Notre Dame is probably coming from the ACC. And so then the right. ACC loses one so. big school yeah. outside of losing its chance at Notre Dame. And then the chipping away at the ACC begins, right? It's well, I mean, down I, I, one school. This is a world where, you know, uh, geography matters to the Big Ten, which clearly it doesn't. Right. So I, I think Notre Dame makes more sense than the Big Ten, but I, I'm curious because I really well, feel what like – matters to Notre Dame, not what matters to the Big Ten. UCLA got the benefit of latching on with the USC. USC. They were going to have to fold sports because their athletic department is so underfunded yep. until this move. Maryland moved to the Big Ten. The ACC, in response to that, they put their dukes up and they had this grant of rights idea. 
And they had this long-term deal to lock teams in for that long where it cost them too much money to leave because the, the members of the ACC didn't want anyone else defecting. What's the next play? That didn't work out long-term for the ACC. So what's the, what's the move for them? Uh, obviously Notre Dame. But other than that, I mean, what is to keep – if the SEC or Big Ten or anyone came calling, what would truly keep the team in the ACC other than – Nothing. Jim Phillips coming in and saying, we've got Notre Dame coming in. Well, Notre Dame coming in would immediately push your overall television revenue up to a level that is, it wouldn't surpass whatever this billion-dollar plan is going to be for the Big Ten, and it's not going to surpass whatever the SEC is about to make um, uh, per team. It'll be over $100 million eventually on this new deal uh, per year. Uh, but it gets you in the realm. Like the Notre Dame NBC talk is around $75 million. It get, right now, the ACC deal is around $35 million a year. You're not even in the conversation nope. with these Power 2 conferences and the SEC and the Big Ten for TV revenue. One thing to keep in mind, too, because the narrative right now is that Kevin Warren had a leadership-type press conference, and he's not shying away from conference expansion, college football playoff expansion. They're not shying away from the future, which is going to be larger than the 16 they have right now. Greg Sankey feels the same way even if he didn't say it last week. This guy does not deal in the in the past. He's constantly moving forward. And the only way to keep up with him is exactly what Kevin Warren did today, which is acknowledge that you're following a path that you have to go down because if you don't, the SEC is going to take it all. A lot of conversation still to come with all of this tomorrow on Outkick 360. Don't block the box. Do lock your locks. <laughs>